There's a reason Bowling Green State University is ranked number one in Ohio for student experience. Our in-demand degrees and life design program prepares students for their first career and their next. With an unparalleled support system at a national research university, BGSU offers an unrivaled experience, all on a vibrant campus in one of America's best college towns. It's also why Bowling Green State University is the number one school in the Midwest that students would choose again for the fourth year in a row. What's it going to be today? Skyline three-way or cheese conies? Hmm, that's a tough one. I know. Give me a Skyline three-way and cheese conies. Problem solved. Feeling good. It's Skyline time. Josh Allen, looking deep, going deep. To me, talking about the build, what else would you rather be doing? We're hoping to add a, a new dimension to the Cover One network. Slings it deep downfield, and it's Right now, I just want to talk about this championship level. I've never had a championship caliber team to talk about. I want to focus more on the storylines each week. What are the big stories going on with the Bills? What are uh, thoughts, commentary? How do these things impact Buffalo? Deep drop. Deep throw. And it is pulled in for the touchdown. Allen deep to the end zone and caught for a touchdown. Play action. Welcome into a new edition of the Going Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Masseri, here with Mike Bunt. We're going to talk about, did the Bills get better this year? Are they a better roster all around? What can we say about the work that Brandon Bean has done with negative $15 million of cap space? Mike, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Ready to talk some Bills football, some exciting moves over the weekend. So uh, luckily for us, Kev, even during this quiet time, we're getting some content to... uh, to talk about going into early mid-June here. Yeah, it's a nice little news dump, Mike. Nice little news dump for uh, a random early June style. Usually it's pretty slow. It's not really a lot going on in the world of sports and bills specifically. But we got an Ed Oliver extension I just tweeted out a little while ago. It was essentially a three-year, forty-seven, forty-eight million dollar deal. So it's uh, not quite the 60-something million people were, were th- seeing off the bat. Start there, Mike. I know it was kind of the, the latest news, but let's start on that front. How do you feel about that at extension? And are you feeling better knowing that it's essentially you're going to pay him 11 anyways. Now he's getting three for 45, 48. Now you have him locked up essentially for three years, but you don't have to see the fourth and fifth year of that deal if he doesn't pan out. Yeah, first of all, I, I love the Ed Oliver extension. I, I don't know if I'm in the majority or the minority of Bills fans with that. It, it seemed like uh, a, it seemed like a polarizing move over the weekend. At least if you follow social media, now that's not always represented well representative uh, Bills Mafia as a whole. But the way I look at it, the Bills had no D lineman under contract beyond the end of the season. Ed Oliver was a top ten pick for. Most measures, he's been a quality starter for the Bills over his career. Has he flashed uh, as much as Bills fans have wanted him? No. Has he performed like an all-pro D-tackle like you sometimes would expect out of a top-ten pick? No. But 
he has still shown that he's a good player, has the potential to take his game to another level. And at this point in time, you're kind of left in no man's land. You either go into the season without a contract, and then if he balls out, you probably lose him in the offseason or have to pay him an astronomical contract. Or you do what Brandon Bean did now and say, you know what? You think you're a good player. We're going to give you this money. Yes, it's a little bit of a leap of faith, but we believe you're going to earn this based on your performance going forward. And Aaron Quinn actually dropped his chart of Ed Oliver statistics and, you know, more and more will come out about it uh, of, you know, his play, his advanced analytics, some of his regular statistics, some of uh, his, you know, run stop percentages. So his run stop percentages toward the top still, he gets top six. Uh, it's stopping the run and a lot of win rate from the run, uh, run stopping uh, front uh, defensive pressures, at least for now, he's above average 153 um, as compared to his peers of, you know, Aaron analyzed Quinn and Williams, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, Jeffrey Simmons, Vita Vea, uh, Deron Payne and Sheldon rankings, uh, a really solid, basically the top 15, you know, some of the top 15 defensive tackles in the league. Ed's actually above them in pressures, in hits, the same sacks and hurries, um, and his missed tackle percentage is exactly the same. So, you know, he's on par. Like, I don't know what it is that Oliver gets a bad rap for, so maybe because he was taken ninth overall. A lot of his statistics match up favorably to the best ever of Kyle Williams's years. Um, so to me, Mike, what do you think of those stats? And for some reason, all the eye test doesn't always go with what he's producing behind the scenes. Well, I think it's a couple of things. When you have a top 10 pick, you expect them to flash. You're looking for what Marcel Darius did at times where Darius had a double digit sack season early in his career. And that's how he got the hundred million dollar plus contract. Obviously never lived up to it. But when there's guys like Aaron Donald and Chris Jones out there, just terrorizing teams at times, there's at, there's parts of the fan base that want a top 10 pick like, uh, at Oliver to be that guy that could be a eight, nine, 10 sack D tackle, but those don't grow on trees. Like those are not common across the NFL. And like you said, comparing his numbers to other people that he was drafted around, he has performed at a decent level. Has he, like I said, he hasn't flashed at an elite level, but I do think there's room for him to grow. We, we sometimes forget he had five sacks as a rookie, which is, pretty damn good for a, for a young defensive tackle. Maybe the expectations um, are something where because you expect greatness, because he hasn't gotten to that point, you, you're disappointed. But fans shouldn't confuse that for him being a poor player. He's definitely not a bad player. And I always thought some of the trade talk in the offseason was, was a little bit odd unless they had no plans of bringing him back uh, or ever extending him in the future. The stat that you mentioned about his uh, run win rate, the stat that Aaron Quinn had him as number six in the league. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was up there with some of the best D tackles. And I do think signing Puna Ford is going to help at Oliver a lot this upcoming season. Obviously, being next to Daquan Jones is huge when Jones is taking double teams and um, taking the brunt of, uh, brunt of things at times. But now that you add Puna Ford into the mix, you probably can increase at Oliver's snap rate and tell him, hey, man, go after it at times. Uh, and, and, and don't be a, be aggressive. Do your thing. And I also think another aspect that sometimes hurts a guy like at Oliver is when you're playing in the nickel and 
there are going to be games where your run game is exposed because of the defense that you're playing. Fans are going to blame that on the defensive line. They're not going to know if which player in particular, so they're going to blame everybody. So I do think there was times last year uh, towards the end of the season when the Bills weren't getting a pass rush and they weren't really generating the pressures at the, the rate that they were earlier in the season. The fans just wanted to basically unleash on the entire defensive line when in reality they weren't great at the end of the season, but they were never terrible. Yeah, and I think there's been a lot of comparisons made like we see to Tremaine Edmonds because, well, if you could have just given – at Oliver, similar money, you know, obviously, as we break down the deal, it's three years for 16 million. He was already had his fifth year option taken for 11. Now, one note of this deal, $4.9 million on the cap this year, and then $9 million on the cap next year. So the Bills really don't see any strong years on this, strong cap years until the third year from now. And that's really his only year that he has to play out. After that, the Bills can then make the decision if they want to continue on basically a team option, more or less, you know, for lack of a better term, if they want to take on that fourth and fifth year at the $20 million per year mark, the good thing is you weren't going to get Tremaine Edmonds on this type of structure. That's the biggest thing to note. It isn't about a, you know, not always about annual, you know, per year values, like you see in baseball, hockey, and others. These aren't guaranteed contracts. Uh, he got, he got a lot of guaranteed money, basically three years of the deal. One of them was already guaranteed with the fifth year option. So, Mike, when you look at this deal, it's very flexible. It's a three-year deal. Four and five don't need to exist if he does not play up to par. And if he does, you'd be fine with him at a manageable level, and you can restructure and do whatever you want on year four at that stage anyways. Um, but ultimately, you can't let your entire defense go. They probably, you know, you've seen Bean now talk about it a couple times where they thought that there was potential to upgrade certain things of the middle linebacker room in terms of coverage and covering quicker and twitchier type of players. Now, is that just sour grapes after you lose the player potentially, or is there something to that where they felt like, look, we don't have any defensive tackle signed. We feel this is a pretty good deal. It doesn't, you know, string us along to anything else. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds deal kicks in fairly quickly uh, in terms of what kind of money he's owed as soon. You know, so for this year, it's 15 million. So the difference there is not little. It's four to fifteen million. It's eleven million dollars more this year for Tremaine Edmonds. It's not just a couple mil. You got to really look at the deal. And then when you look at next year, twenty-two million against the cap to nine. You're talking about twenty-two million dollar difference between the first two years. You essentially got Ed Oliver for thirteen million dollars over the next of cap over the next two years. It when you're going to pay him eleven this year alone, it's a fantastic deal if you break down the eleven against the cap. Um, the next two years when you were going to pay that this year alone. So it's essentially more like 13 after everything, but you were going to pay him 11. So there's a big difference there, Mike, um, between Tremaine's deal, which looks like on paper after you math it all out, um, you know, uh, a pretty decent sized deal, not, not too much difference, but the $13 million in cap over the first two years is a no go. And Kevin, we're talking about two very different positions too. D-tackle is more valued than middle linebacker in terms of where money is put in NFL teams and roster building. Uh, this contract for Ed, while you, you originally look at what was released, the four years, the $68 million, it, it seems like a ton when it, when it first pops out on you. That doesn't even slot him in the top 10 highest paid D-tackles in the league. 
He's right. in. I, I don't know where to officially put him, but um, it was it was closer to like what that thirteen to seventeen range, Kev, somewhere around there. So with Ed Oliver, I, I I think it's fair to say like if he plays to his potential, he should definitely slot in that area. Middle linebacker on the Bills, I think we're starting to see that maybe it isn't the highest priority for them as a defense or what they value to their defensive success. Sure, they would love to keep Tremaine Edmonds, but the money that he got, they don't think that's pivotal to that position to have success on defense, especially when you're looking at the names of the guys that are competing uh, for the starting middle linebacker spot right now. What you and I have both been hearing has been Dodson, uh, Bernard, and Specter for the three in the running with uh, starter reps so far in practice. So we're not even talking A.J. Klein, Dorian Williams. So th- the fact that the Bills are right now running two second-year players with Dodson to compete for the starting middle linebacker position just tells you they didn't think they needed to put a huge investment in that position this offseason to still have a great defense. So without Ed Oliver, you're banking on that there's going to be continued development and growth in this game. And if it doesn't happen after those three years, Kev, you can move on. And I I think that's a safe bet to be made. How do teams get stay solid in the NFL? You draft well, you develop your players, and then you re-sign them to second contracts. When you're unable to do that draft uh, and develop method, that's when you start overspending on free agents. Uh, and, and you put yourself in a situation where uh, you're not allocating your money well. One thing Brandon Bean loves is knowing with certainty what certain things are going to be looking money-wise two, three years into the future. Because even if Ed Oliver doesn't end up panning out, Bean now knows where he can throw money at in certain spots next year in free agency, the year after in free agency. This lets him strategize better in the years to come, which is something that is really important as a general manager. So beyond even this deal, this helps Bean put together solid rosters for the next couple years because he doesn't need to worry about what is that Oliver's contract going to be? Is he going to be part of the team? Now we know, and we can move on. Yeah, and once again, what's the difference? What does it matter? Is Tremaine Edmonds a better player at face value? Maybe. Is he better at, at a valued position? Don't agree with that. Also, the $10 million difference this year alone between the two players against the cap, and then that's not even counting the $13 million difference next year. The $10 million got you a player we're going to talk about in a second, Puna Ford, Taylor Rapp, and others. So that just that difference alone is why – and then obviously you 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 filled him in with a third round pick next year. So just that compensation, just alone for losing the player. And now you have two third round picks at about a million dollar values competing with each other um, for that position in a really stout defense. Brandon Bean made the right moves. He made the right move at the time. And this is a good move. Brandon Bean does not do extensions early if it doesn't benefit the team. They got out in front of this. If Ed Oliver plays to the level that some of his advanced metrics say he can, um, he's not going to sign this kind of deal. He's going to be in the 20s. And that's kind of what happened with Tremaine at the middle linebacker position, a little bit different. He played, uh, advanced his his potential and reached 18 million, which is a lot at that position. Um, 
and then equally so at defensive tackle, 22 to 25. Now, the really only time you ever want to say it bit him was, I guess, the Dawson Knox deal. I guess Dawson Knox probably could have came in undervalued this year if you waited it out. But that was a unique and rare scenario. I don't even know how much under that he would have gotten. Uh, maybe he would have played at a one-year, kind of like Evan Ingram, one-year $10 million deal or something. If you really thought that that is a better and really, value. That's not even that dramatically different than what he no. did end up getting. No, no, no. You lo- less long-term commitment, if that's your kind of thing. But uh, outside of that one, is it really the only deal you can point to to kind of being you know rushed uh, in a sense? But also his cap at this year, Mike, is $6.425 million. I think he gets more than that if he hits the open market, even on a one-year basis. So the bills are still to the good on that deal. It's next year that we need to see Dawson's potential well, he'll be $14 million against the cap. So next year is the first year we can more talk about that deal. But in the first two years, the deal, the bill's got a value. And if he, once again, if he plays up to his value, he absolutely sees double digit millions uh, in, uh, uh, in the future. So uh, especially as a 27 year old tight end who it's, it's a really expensive position, but outside of that, the bills do really well in these extensions. You know, being said that there may still be moves to go. Could we see a Dawkins or Trey white um, restructure, could, or extension, could we see a Taron Johnson, um, Daquan Jones, or Micah Hyde extension? Those are still on the card. So those are really the five players you're looking out for. Something popping in the next couple of days. The Bills say they're about $5 million to the good, which is which is mir- miraculous to where they started and what they added. And then now, Mike, what did they do? They freed up money for a $7 million deal with Leonard Floyd, a guy that they had been monitoring since the draft. They've been monitoring the defensive end and line market pretty extensively. We had heard some reports from some Bills Twitter that the Bills are after uh, defensive line. They immediately went out and signed Puna Ford, and they weren't done yet uh, checking into defensive end really since the draft. And maybe they felt like they could get the deal done with an advanced and premier pass rusher, one of the top-ranked guys in the class in general. The defensive end market was weird with Robert Quinn and Leonard Floyd and Yannick Ngakwe and uh, Jadevian Clowney and just uh, you know Justin Houston, Melvin Ingram, just real, really like top-end uh, t- uh, defensive end twos that just didn't get signed. Really weird for a premier position in this league. Um, you know, not safety. It's it's defensive end. So that was really weird what happened in the market here. You know, Leonard Floyd's only 30. It's not like he's 35. Um, so really interesting position. The, he picked the Bills, Brandon Bean said so today, over another contender. Um, so Brandon Bean said uh, in his press conference. So those little things are the reason that players are picking here. And really a great another great structure. We just kind of talked about how well we did with the Ed Oliver extension. And that's truly why Brandon Bean went with that deal because of how uh, how how friendly it was for the team. Ultimately, especially in the first two years, that deal is extremely friendly. But equally so, when it comes to Leonard Floyd, uh, he really signed a minimum contract for the year. He got a five point eight million dollars signing bonus uh, to make his cap hit this year, a whopping two point six million dollars this year, Mike, to sign Leonard Floyd to the roster. What is your opinion now after you get the extension for? at Oliver. Now you got the Leonard Floyd deal coming in and now this Bills roster is getting fairly complete, like to the point where they're going to lose some good players after cutdown day. What do you feel about the Leonard Floyd deal at 2.6 million against the cap with a few void years? How can you not love it, Kev? This is an amazing signing to happen in early June uh, and a guy that's going to hopefully play a, a large role in the, the Bills defensive line success this upcoming season you, you think about it, Kev, we've been talking about for maybe a month plus that the Bills were going to pursue a defensive end. We didn't know who. You mentioned all the names. Uh, there was a lot of good guys out there. And 
we knew based on the market, the bills were probably going to be able to afford one of them. Now, what would have taken them out of it? A move for maybe DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, but that ended up quieting down. And a guy like Floyd, you now give yourself more time to ease Von Miller back into the lineup onto the field. You don't need to rush him back. Uh, if he is ready to go right away, good. That's awesome. That's just an added bonus. But until Von is back, you know you have... While many kids are making their holiday wish lists, the patients at Nationwide Children's Hospital are simply wishing they could be home. But you have the power to make their stay a little brighter. The moment you make a donation, the butterflies on the lawn at Nationwide Children's light up for our patients to see. And that gift brings joy, funds research, and the world's finest care. Please, light up the lawn. Light up a life. Give now at nationwidechildrens.org give. Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. Hate travels faster. In a comment, in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S., Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from StandUpToJewishHate.org. An above-average pass rusher across from Greg Rousseau. You should still have a solid pass rush. When Vaughn gets back, even better. Uh, situations where you can take Vaughn or Rousseau off the field and still have a guy that's been close to double-digit sacks the last three years, 10 and a half, nine and a half, nine sacks, uh, 28 over the last three years. So you're getting uh, an above-average uh, pass rusher who can get to the quarterback. That's going to make this rotation that much more dangerous um, going forward. And uh, Greg was talking about potential third-down situations if the Bills want to go, uh, in, I guess, in their thick dime where – you could have Leonard Floyd on one side, Von Miller on the other, put Rousseau inside with Ed Oliver. Then you're looking at linebacker having Milano with uh, Taylor Rapp, Taron Johnson uh, on the edges of them. And then Kyrie Elam, Trey White, Micah Hyde, Jordan Parker. Can you imagine third and seven, third and eight? And that's what you're facing. You got three guys that three defensive ends that can come on the field, generate pressure, uh, from the, the interior, you have Ed Oliver there. And then at your linebackers, you still have Rapp and you have Taron Johnson. Either of them could blitz. They could play coverage. You still have Poyer uh, at safety. The disguises you could do, the, the different things that uh, are possible in that. It, it, it's kind of scary. So Leonard Floyd does bring um, another dimension to – to this defense. So I am really excited about the possibility of it. I know we had talked last week, what would you prefer Deandre Hopkins or one of these defensive ends? I was kind of on the fence. We both said Deandre Hopkins just because uh, we, we know that type of impact of how that would help the offense. But if this is the consolation prize, I am thrilled uh, that this was the consolation prize because out of the guys that we were talking about D end possibilities, this is one of the top. Yeah. Kev, this is we, – we were talking about Yannick Ngakwe. This is just as good, probably better than Yannick, uh, to be honest. So uh, this is a, a tremendous cherry on top of 
a great offseason where Bean has had to be very, very uh, smart and efficient with his money and still found a way to bring in uh, a bunch of starting caliber players to this roster. Yeah, what's really interesting, too, is, but I mean, he's a great run defender, so that's what he has an upgrade over other defensive ends in this class. He's a great, we've seen Eric Turner post some some film of him against George Kittle, against McGlinchey, against some of the best tight ends and offensive tackles in the league, and absolutely dominates against the run. So that, to me, is a good sign of what you're going to be able to get, not just a third down pass rusher. He is going to play every snap if, if you let him. He hasn't missed a game in four years. Um, so there's a lot of things there in the DNA that the Bills are looking for. The health, the snaps, the production on the run, production against the pass. And he played super well down the stretch for a really bad Rams team. So to me, it's a matter of they were able to upgrade. And very, very funny enough to me, it's this roster, Mike, is is very good. Now, it's very good top to bottom. I think people, the funny part is I still think that there were some people around the league that was like, wow. The Bills are missing if Ons out, you know, four to six weeks, you know, three to four weeks, whatever. Um, then do they really have beside Greg Rousseau? We kind of saw this at the end of last year in the playoffs. It's okay. It's not, it's not great. Um, you know, and I think people were like, well, I'd rather Hopkins go there than a top end defensive end because you know, maybe Hopkins isn't himself. He's gonna get overpaid, he's gonna demand the ball more. The Bills, you know, already have digs. And I think other teams really um got nervous when they saw Leonard Floyd sign to the Bills because that was a better use of money all around um, because the bills could have heavily utilized uh, another defensive end for the majority of last year, especially after, uh, after Vaughn went down. So it's great to see when other, you know, other teams were like, well, we hope the bills don't get one of those premier pass rushers. And they did, they scored probably to Mike clay, the number one free agent defensive end edge um, in the league. Bills got him uh, 64th ranked, free agent in general by PFF. So there's a lot of things to to break down when it comes to Leonard Floyd and what he's able to do and his career that he's had. He started off kind of at Olivery in a way where good, had some potential, did his thing in Chicago and just started to pop off and got better and better and better similar. Um, and that's what we're hoping for from Ed Oliver and then got really good for the most part through the Rams years. Uh, and then you utilize that, that top pick potential that he had there. So those are going to really heavily invest in this defensive line they always have but i think they finally have the right mixture of youth with boogie basham and greg rousseau and aj Epinesa, two veterans and shaq lawson von miller and leonard floyd it's as good as you can build with six i mean it's a reaching toward the eagles level um you know they're really one premier defensive tackle away from being as good as the eagles vaunted unit and the defensive tackles are no slouches with daquan jones um, you know, at Oliver, Puna Ford, Tim Settle, and Jordan Phillips. So, Mike, it's a really good defensive line unit, one that you can have a player meet, need to miss a game for whatever short-term reason and not lose too much in the regular season and hopefully ramp it up to where they're affecting important games late in the year and in the playoffs. And that secondary's back to strength. I've already seen Trey White rank top five AFC cornerback. So to get a corner one back, be able to utilize the other side, hopefully with Kyrie Elam, Taron Johnson in the slot, as well as, like you mentioned already, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, and Taylor Rapp, Matt Milano. And then a really cool battle between the only battle, one of the only battles really between, um, you know, Trell Bernard, Dorian Williams, uh, Balen Spector, 
and maybe Dodson and, and Klein, a really five-person battle that should start to shake itself out to one or two players uh, by middle of August, so two months from now. So really, probably really the only battle. I don't think there's another battle on the roster if I'm, you know, not, you know, if I'm thinking about it. I guess you could that say Bates versus Osiris Torrance. Um, this is strange, Kev. Like, yeah, we went into this offseason anticipating – that the narrative around the Bills was that they were going to Lose drop players. off this next season, that they weren't going to be the same. And from the national perspective, that's what we're hearing from a lot of the national media guys. But what is odd from a Bills fan perspective is that you, you think about last year, all the expectations, Super Bowl or bust, the Vegas favorites to win the Super Bowl. And and you go into this year after losing the, the divisional round and you think – well, we're not going to be at that level. Well, nationally, the expectations aren't at that level. But this team is so much more talented than last year's team. It's actually kind of unbelievable when you think about it. Because while they have this loaded roster that displays way more depth than before and upgrades to their offensive line, upgrades to their defensive line, um, and players coming back from injuries after missing time or playing uh, hurt last year, the, the expectations aren't there. So in, in a way, that should help them play loose this year. Uh, and, and if they do have uh, some injuries, they should have the depth to get by. Obviously, adding a Taylor Rapp, if you did lose a Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer, you have a, a quality starter that is able to fill in right there. Uh, the D-line, going too deep at all those spots, you're able to sustain a little bit more. If they can have the health luck return that they had in previous years that they weren't able to have last year, there's really no excuses for this defense not to be one of the best in football this next season. I know that they were number one two years ago and that um, according to DVOA, they were a top five unit last year. But I am expecting a lot more pressure from this unit with their increases to the defensive line. And I'm expecting this unit to be strong throughout the year. And, and it really is kind of funny, Kev, because I will say, before the draft, you would ask me, do you think that they should address D-tackle or D-end? And I remember saying, I'm open to it in the middle rounds, but I didn't think it was a priority. And the main reason why I said it at that time was, I didn't know if the Bills had really the resources to go out into free agency and add anyone that was solid. If you would have told me before the draft, Puna Ford and Leonard Floyd would be Buffalo Bills after following the draft, heading into uh, the summer, I, I would have been blown away, Kev, because those are two players that have been starters on other teams that came here, and you honestly you didn't even spend that much money to acquire either of them. Yeah. And real quick, I didn't answer the void years question that was up on the screen. Void years are a way that teams use to spread out a signing bonus. So how that works is this year specifically, um, Leonard Floyd uh, and pertaining to him signed a $5.835 million signing bonus. That's what he's guaranteed. The second he signs that deal, a check is stroked to his bank account and he deposits, he deposits it. And that's his money right up the front, right for signing the deal. How does that work when it comes to cap? That's spread over the length of the deal. It's a one-year deal. So that's you'd have to eat it all this year. So you'd have to pay that $7 million because he's getting a minimum base salary as well. That also counts against your cap of $1.1 million, which is the veteran minimum. 
So what do teams do? And it's gotten really popular lately. The, the Ravens put out a lot of money with OBJ. What happens? They spread it out over three additional void years, meaning that $1.45 million counts this year and for the next three years beyond that. So four total years, Leonard Floyd's going to be paid against the cap, not in cash, because remember, he has already deposited that check. He's going to make $1.458 million against the Bills cap cap for the money he's already been paid today um so how does that work long term those void years can also act as placeholders though so that's why teams like void years you can exercise and try to re-sign that player if he plays up to, to speed and you can work in those void years into his new contract so a lot of the times you give void years to players who will potentially be on the roster and it's a little bit of a tell that if a team's interested in re-signing a player like Leonard Floyd, like this deal has in it. So the Bills could be very interested in re-signing Leonard Floyd to play out the majority of his career, as well as another player that has had a few years of void years is Micah Hyde has a few void years on his deal from previously too. So that's a little bit of a tell that if they play to the potential that they're supposed to, someone like Floyd and Hyde, you could see come back. Those void years once again act as one point, you know, in Floyd's case, one point uh, four five eight million dollar cap holds, and if you don't want the player and you don't negotiate anything and he moves on, those would stay on your cap for those years as dead cap. Um, but you can negotiate with those players as kind of like holder years if you'd like to have that. Um, if you'd like to have that player continue on, so that's how that works. I want to make sure I explain void years. As you look at the roster now, Mike, let's go through it and kind of say if the team. The main question of the day is: Is the team better this year than last year? And we're going to play a little game. So we're going to start at the top at the offense. Is the team better at quarterback this year with Josh Allen and, and Kyle Allen um, as compared to uh, Josh and Case Keenum, Matt Barkley, the third, both years? Is there equal, probably? What would you say the quarterback room, um, you know, with this you know, Josh Allen not having a UCL injury? I'm going to even potentially proposition for better. But where do you stand at the uh, position? I'll say it's a, a push. Not that it really matters. Obviously, Allen, okay. uh, Josh Allen is the guy that carries the position. If you're looking at backup quarterback Case Keenum versus Kyle Allen, I don't know okay. if I really have a dog in that fight. Obviously, Case Keenum has more of a resume than Kyle Allen, but you are getting a little bit younger at the position. Uh, a guy that does have experience playing in the mm -hmm. league. So to me, it's a push. Not really a big, uh, big deal either way when you look at the QB room outside of Josh Allen. Okay, let's keep it moving. Um, the running back room, um, you know, you're going from Devin Singletary, James Cook, Taiwan Jones, and a traded for Naeem Hines for, for Zach Moss last year. To this year, Naeem Hines still there, James Cook still there, and you upgraded to Latavius Murray and Damian Harris over Devin Singletary and Taiwan Jones. I'm going upgrade. Mike, what do you got for us? I'm going upgrade in – I, I do respect Devin Singletary a bunch. And I think if you were comparing Singletary to Harris and Latavius Murray, I might say that I'd probably say that Singletary is a better player than both of them. But I believe that the Bills needed more versatility in their running back room. And I think what Harris and Latavius Murray bring to their running game is more important and will play a, a crucial role in their, their success running the ball going forward. So I'm going to say upgrade because I thought Devin Singletary in the way he played kind of kept James Cook off the field. I want to see more Cook, and I, I think this enables that. 
So uh, I'm going to say upgrade just because of the versatility and the, the change. Yeah, it's better. I think it's better in short yardage. It's better for power running. It's better between That's the That's a tackles. huge aspect. The, the short running, power running, like the one cut ability of a Damian Harris, the the big physicality of a Latavius Murray. The Bills just didn't have that. And then if you ever do want to put Hines in the game, his pass catching out of the backfield, we didn't really get to see much last year. Maybe they'll scheme up a few things uh, if he's to make the team. Yeah, really interesting. Latavius Murray is PFF's eighth-rated running back. So, you know, Harris aside, there's there's still still people that think Latavius Murray is running hard and running strong, uh, especially for his age and his contract level. Very, very good value usually out of every year out of Latavius Murray. Uh, very, you know, ever since he's really been Minnesota's backup, um, you know, then, you know, Oakland at the time. So he's 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 really played his way to contracts. Um, and used to playing and grinding and proving he's still good. So a very interesting story of someone that um, just continues to play running back at a really high level, even though he usually starts the year on a practice squad sometimes. So went to Minnesota, played really well, 842 yards, and really he's had 600-plus yards majority of his remaining career um, since 2000, you know, really his whole career since his rookie year. Uh, starting his sophomore year, 2015, he, he has a lot of years over 640 yards, Mike almost all of them. So uh, 6.55 total touchdown. He's a guy that gets it done. And, you know, you would think he has a low yards per clip, you know, generally hovers right around four or five. So interesting storyline. I think the Bills had plans for him, guaranteed his contract. think he's on the roster. I uh, think it's a good trade to satisfy special teams, get rid of a little special teams player, especially with the new fair catch rule on kickoffs uh, to remove that. Um, so let's go to, let's go to the next position group, tight end. Um, and we're going to classify Dalton Kincaid for a tight end uh, for this purpose of this discussion. Um, so obviously you go from Dawson Knox and Quentin Morris, the same, um, to now just adding the difference between Dalton Kincaid and Tommy Sweeney. I know it's not fair. Massive upgrade. One of the probably one of the bigger upgrades on the team. Obviously, it should be for sinking a first round pick into it. But what it you know is there much more to be said there? No, the only thing you really can say is you look at this tight end room, it should be one of the best tight end rooms in the NFL. Dawson Knox is a good two-way player, good blocker, quality receiver. Uh, and, and now you add in what should be, hopefully quickly, one of the better pass-catching tight ends in the entire NFL. Uh, easy upgrade. Easy enough. Continue down the path. I, I agree. Let's continue down the path to the receiver room now. Uh, so the receiver room had – you know, a few changes. They got younger. Um, so they, the Bills' plan was to find these 25 to 28-year-olds. Uh, I know they added, you know, kind of Leonard Floyd here at 30, but generally they've been looking in that younger realm uh, for players this time around, which is which is a good move. Uh, at the wide receiver room now, you have obviously the top two are the same in Gabe Davis at this moment, and Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis. Your third receiver, you know, let's say it's Shakir, so he's, he's a wash as well. So those three players are washed, but you, you went to Deontay Hardy, you went to Trent Sherfield. Uh, so two players that you can, you know, both have been mentioned as really good assets by Josh Allen already having some, some good connections with them right now, Mike. So those, that's going to be something to watch in my opinion. Uh, and then Justin Shorter, obviously as well, the rookie and really losing Isaiah McKenzie, the ghost of John Brown, the end of Cole Beasley, not a lot else there that they've lost. Jake Kumaro, don't forget about. Uh, oh yeah, how could I ever forget either. about the coom the coom dog? 
Um, <laughs> so, and then a bunch of slew of, of veterans and um, UFL guys and see if Marcel Aitman can do something or Jalen Wayne, um, you know, Desmond Patton's had some, some run at times, Keyshawn Johnson, Isaiah Coulter. So there's a lot of depth behind those first six who don't, there's not much of a chance for any of those guys unless someone does go down. Um, but that top six to me is a lot better than it was last year. I think that Deontay Hardy and what he's going to be able to, that first step is wicked. And Trent Sherfield alone is an upgrade to Kumaro. So where do you stand? And then Justin Shorter's another boundary receiver that the team is lacking and special teamer. I think those three are an upgrade to what the Bills had last year. Yeah, I'm going to say slight upgrade. I don't want to go significant upgrade yet because we are talking about guys that are lower on the depth chart. So while I think Deontay Hardy is going to be an upgrade over Isaiah McKenzie, we still have to see it play out uh, on the field. Mm -hmm. Yes, he has more of a route tree. He's quicker, um, is better with the ball in his hands than McKenzie uh, would be. We still have to see it. Last year, he didn't really get many uh, reps at receiver due to his foot injury that he was dealing with. Was a special, was basically a special teamer last year. Two years ago, Hardy had some explosiveness, had nearly 16 yards per catch, had 570 yards. We saw some of the big playability. Trent Sherfield, he adds quality to our depth. If you fall to your number five receiver now, you know you can put him in the game and get reliable results. Is he going to be a game changer? No. But you know if you have to go down your depth chart in case of injuries that you have guys that can step up. Khalil Shakir, still a great unknown. Uh, we both think he has potential. Uh, we liked him going into last year. We'll see if he can take that step up. He had some issues with his route running at, at times last year, but did have separation ability according to the metrics when he was out uh, on the field. And then Obviously, you look at Gabe Davis, was playing through a high ankle sprain early last season, did not live up to the potential that many Bills fans had for him. Are we going to see him take a step forward? Is he going to stay the same? Uh, and how will that impact uh, extension talks with the Bills going forward? So, Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. Hate travels faster in a comment in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S. Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from StandUpToJewishHate.org. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm going to say slight upgrade. I don't even need to mention Stefan Diggs. We all know where he sits with this Bills team. One of the best receivers in football. The only question yep. with Diggs is how is he going to uh, mentally fit into this locker room after everything that took place at the end of last year? I think things will be okay once he gets back on the field, hits things up with Josh Allen. I know it's been a little bit rocky. Um, in the playoffs and then this off season, but I do think they'll get over their problems once uh, push comes to shove. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a good question is to me, Mike, I think hindsight's 2020. I think this unit is just a lot better. I think that shorter has real potential. 
Uh, he's a real monster. They didn't have that kind of outside presence who can also play special teams and get a jersey on game day. You know, you had to kind of piece together that position. They didn't really have a boundary if something happened. Uh, so to me, I think that the stories of like late season John Brown and and what Cole Beasley could come in and help out with at times was okay. And Isaiah McKenzie never developing um, past what he was able to do that one Patriots game a few seasons ago. I think the potential of Sherfield, who's a legitimate player who had legitimate 400 yards, legitimate numbers last year and can play special teams shorter, who can develop, you know, that's, that's putting Shakir's development aside. And then as well as Hardy's first step and his ability to be better than McKenzie alone, it's an upgrade to me. Is it how big of an upgrade? We'll have to wait and see. But to me, I think it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade on paper and it's deeper for sure. Um, So we'll see how that all plays out come training camp regular season um, coming in the next couple months. So. And, and Dalton Kincaid plays a, a role right, in all this right. too, because we, obviously him being the big slot, what is going to be his snap share? Because depending on how much he's playing in the slot, that's going to determine how much you're playing Shakir on the field. And that will impact the entire rest of the depth chart of receivers. So if they do plan on playing Kincaid 50 plus percent of the snaps from the slot, well, you might not see uh, Khalil Shakir on the field as much as what you would anticipate if that's not the case. So um, there is, uh, it, it is a little odd because his play is going to have a direct impact and correlate with the rest of the guys uh, beyond Davis and Stefan Diggs. Yeah. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Lastly, on the offensive side of the ball is obviously the offensive line. Uh, this should be an easy one, but Deion Dawkins, obviously still there. Spencer Brown still there. So your tackles can do remain the same, especially with David Quesenberry and Tommy Doyle. So your tackle room is pretty identical, but they added Brandon Shell. So for some, some much needed competition uh, in Brandon Shell to come in there and compete there. Uh, and the, the contract they gave him is very interesting that if he earns a job, he can make himself some more money. So that's, uh, that's, that's a pretty interesting note. You saw Ryan Bates, Mitch Morris, um, you know, so that's really, you know, not really uh, that big of a difference, but then really where the differences come in, you added Connor McGovern over Roger Saffold, you drafted, a guy in Cyrus Tor- Osiris Torrance, you added David Edwards and Nick Broker. That guard room is a massive upgrade. I'm going to say massive. I mean, truly mean it. It's a massive upgrade. One of the weakest positions of the team last year. The tackles stay the same. The center stays the same. But that guard position is a massive, massive upgrade. And one that I wish they could have had in the playoffs last year and still bring back, you know, the, the likes of Alec Anderson, Ike Butker, uh, a couple of undrafted guys like Richard Garage, who I think has some some long term potential there, I'll, and um, you know Kevin Jarvis is a guy, and Greg Mance, so so some veterans there too. It's a pretty good offensive line unit, and one that I do think the bill think the Bills trade from um, the Bills trade from come late August, Mike. So, what's your opinion of the the differences? Yeah, I mean, this is the offensive line is what the Bills invested the most this offseason signing two uh, former starters uh, at left guard and then drafting someone with your second round pick. Uh, it, so it's almost impossible to say that this would be worse. Uh, it, you have to say better uh, with the offensive line. Roger Saffold was one of the worst left guards in all of football last year. A tremendous disappointment. We were all hoping him reuniting with Aaron Cromer that he would be able to figure things out and kind of roll with the the change coming to the bills but it just never happened and was a liability for most of the season you bring in a connor mcgovern obviously he's not a good run blocker but he is an above average pass blocker if he ends up losing the competition david edwards you know 
has ability, can be a solid starter prior to his concussion issues, was a good player with the Rams. Osiris Torrance, if he does start at right guard, you're hoping that maybe he can uh, improve the play. But if it doesn't work out, you still have Ryan Bates yeah. as an insurance option who can fill in at only at, at almost any spot on the offensive line. The big question mark at, on the line is going to be Spencer Brown. What do we see out of him next year? And that's a great unknown. He hasn't played to the expectation his first two years after being a third-round pick. But last year was dealing with a back injury that a lot of people inside the Bills say impacted his play, and that was a difficult thing for him to go through. If he's fully healthy, hopefully he can improve his game. The Bills did bring some insurance options in case that doesn't end up happening. But just based on the interior line improvements alone, I think you have to say upgrade for the Bills' offensive line. Yeah, I mean – Mike, it's a massive upgrade at guard. Everything else is the same, but it's a massive upgrade at the weakest part of their roster, which is a huge difference. And I do think that just upgrading your weakest link on the offensive line is huge alone. So going to somebody like, um, you know, going to someone like Osiris Torrance at right guard and then getting Connor McGovern a really great pass, uh, pass blocker, putting Bates into a sixth offensive lineman role, having Shell and Quisenberry there and Broker and Edwards. I mean, it's, it's, it's not only good, but it's deep. And one, like I said, that I do believe you're going to get a draft pick from come. Um, the come depth August. is huge, Kev. The, the depth is vital because now you can live with an injury here or an injury there. That shouldn't devastate the entire line. Like you said, draft capital, I would almost guarantee that they're going to get a draft pick for at least one of these guys at the end of August. So I think it's fair to say, sum up the offense. So we get in the defense of the last few minutes. You think that it's, an overall Kincaid, Hardy, Osiris Torrance, David Edwards, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. On, on, paper, on paper, easy upgrade. Yeah. I don't think, cause really you're talking about losing Isaiah McKenzie and Devin Singletary from the offense and adding just eight guys that we've already talked about. It's a definite upgrade across the board uh, at the, at the offensive yeah, side. Kev, of when we look at this team, like I, I know if there's opposing fans listening to us, and I'm, I'm sorry for, for cutting you off. I didn't mean to. No. Um, if, if there's opposing fans watching our show right now, Dolphins fans, Jets fans, Patriots fans, Chiefs fans, Bengals fans, they're probably going to think that we're being homers right now. And I would understand it. If I, if I tuned into uh, a rival team's podcast, a team that lost in the divisional round after being a Super Bowl favorite, and they're telling me that they upgraded almost every positional group on their offense – after having the number two ranked offense the year before, I'd probably be laughing. But but the honest truth is, and, and most talent evaluators would say this, the Bills were carried by Josh Allen last year. Josh and Stephon Diggs carried this offense. They were not a good offensive line. At times, they were they were able to, to get by and play adequately. But for the most part, below average offensive line last year. They addressed it. The receiving core, it was really Stephon Diggs carrying the receiving core last year. Yes, Gabe Davis didn't have a horrible season. I'm not one of those people that's going to grill him for his drops. He needs to improve it. But uh, the receiving core was kind of a letdown. They didn't have a slot receiver last year that, that could really step up and help Josh out as an insurance option. They brought some guys in that can help that out. You look at the running back room. That would be the one that probably opposing fan bases would say that the Bills downgraded 
you and I disagree because obviously we, we feel like we like the versatility more. But then the last thing would be quarterback. That's a splash. Tight end, obviously Dalton Kincaid's an upgrade. So it, it's really wild. But Josh has a supporting cast right now. He has much better players surrounding him. So really, if the offense, say it does regress statistically, and they don't score as many points per game, or they don't get as many yards per game, I don't think that would be a result of the the newcomers of this team. I think that would maybe be Josh having a down season or Ken Dorsey struggling as a second-year offensive coordinator. From a talent roster perspective, they have improved throughout their offense. Yeah, absolutely. I think the offense is better. Special teams is a wash in terms of that they brought back their same specialists. So let's move on to defense. Now we talked about the defensive line for the most of the majority of the start of the show. You know, obviously getting, you know, we're not going to count players coming back. That doesn't necessarily count for the roster part, part of this. But you have Von Miller. So really the biggest difference here is you're adding in a Leonard Floyd to the roster, Puna Ford to the roster. Um, and you know, you're not really, you're keeping from the defensive line perspective, you know, you're not really losing anybody there. So it's, it's, what's your opinion of the adding of those two? Like, it's just two premier players that have been added post-draft. There's no way that didn't get better. Yeah. I don't even know if you can really debate this because you're adding, they didn't lose any starters from other teams on cheap I'm, I, Leonard Floyd isn't cheap, but overall, for what the the value for the player, you're, what getting, you're not really spending much. So, the defensive line last year, I think we'd all say was it was average to slightly above average, but didn't perform when it mattered the most. With Vaughn, this defensive line has a chance to be one of the better ones in football, hypothetically. Uh, without Vaughn, hopefully they can get by for a while with Floyd. Rousseau and and now the newcomers as well with Puna Ford added to the mix. So I think easy to say upgrade and potentially big upgrade depending on how things work out. Yeah. I mean, how the things shook out, they didn't lose anyone there. So you can make the debate, like you mentioned running back, but um, you know, you can make, there's no debate to be had. You added a really good defensive tackle and a great pass rusher. There's no debate to be had that those two players, you can make the debate to Damian Harris or Devin Singletary. Would that have mattered much? I don't know. Um, but you can make the argument that Puna Ford and Leonard Floyd are massive upgrades and ones that they could have utilized not only in the playoff game, but throughout the season at times, you know, it's funny to say when you go, you know, 14 and four, but you know, throughout the season where you could have, have, have made some, you know, maybe earned the one seed to the, in the, in the Vikings game. But I think to me, that's a huge upgrade, as big of an upgrade can get uh, on the roster, that and guard, um, and obviously tight end too, I guess. Um, so, you know, those are some some massive upgrades, Mike, but let's move on to linebacker. This is an mm-hmm. interesting debate. Um, and maybe obviously, you know, look at the outside linebacker position. It's the same at Milano um, and a couple of the, the, the usual suspects, but then the middle spot. So you go from Tremaine Edmonds to Dorian Williams being the only, you know, everyone else is a returner. Um, so really only Dorian Williams is the only swap out there. You know, you're still bringing back Terrell Bernard on the second year, Terrell Dodson, AJ Klein, Taylor Matakavich, Balin Spector. So all that's the same, you know, really not another additional veteran there. Triven Howard is a guy they, they want to see a lot of a guy that they may think could make the roster from what I've been um, hearing inside the team. But that aside, the big swap there, and then obviously Matt Milano, but the big swap there is Tremaine admins to Dorian Williams, What's your overall opinion of the linebacker room? 
this is going to be my first downgrade of the positional groups. As I said earlier, wide receiver, running back, quarterback, you could be, is it really that much of an upgrade? Maybe not. You could do pushes for those. But this is the first position group that I'm going with a downgrade because you're losing. Wow. Well, I mean, I think it's fairly <laughs> obvious. You're going to end up agreeing with me despite that reaction. But, like, you, you, you lose Tremaine Edmonds and you don't bring anyone in through free agency. You draft someone in the third right. round. You're not going to replace him in that ability with the moves that they've made right there. Now, how big of a deal will it be that the Bills have an unknown question mark at middle linebacker? I don't think it's a huge deal with this defense because personally, I think they can mask it with all the talent they have surrounding uh, the rest of the defense. What is interesting to me is the guys that are supposedly involved in this competition. If it really is Tyrell Dodson uh, versus Terrell Bernard and Balen Spector, I find it interesting that Spector and Bernard are in this conversation, in this, this battle at the moment. Because when I think of Spector and Bernard, I think a smaller, rangier linebackers that their strength is more going to be coverage. And when we see the Bills bring in a guy like Taylor Rapp, a third safety, a guy that's starting caliber, it, it, it tells me the Bills are really doubling down on their coverage-based approach where they don't think they need a hammer at middle linebacker who's going to uh, – always get the hits at the line of scrimmage and make the, the, the splash plays in the backfield. I think Dodson might have the slight advantage going into camp to win the job, but will he be on the field all the time? Is it going to be more of a rotation? I don't know. I, I, I just, there's too much unknowns. And until we start watching camp and seeing what they're doing, we're really not going to have a great idea. So for that alone, I'm going to have to say downgrade because Neither none of these guys that we're discussing are at uh, right. Tremaine Edmonds level last year, especially. Um, now, one thing I didn't I did say you're not allowed to use like injury comebacks. I can't say Von Miller makes it better. I mean, Von Miller was there. I'm not going to use like the injury um, as an upgrade. But where, where you are allowed for this discussion is the overall roster play. And I think one thing that factors in is the fact of Terrell Bernard taking a step this year and Bale Inspector being second year players, that is a difference. They weren't second year players last year learning the defense. So that is an upgrade in terms of where those players are at on the roster. Um, now also we'll see like Dorian Williams could be just someone under the radar overly two third round picks. Like they did not draft Matt Milano's backup and Matt Milano's backups backup. They did draft players that will be competing at the middle linebacker. Look at Terrell Bernard might take this job. Um, and, you know, everyone's going to maybe reconsider their idea of that draft pick. Maybe they go to a little bit more third base linebacker now. Maybe it's a little bit different. Taylor Rapp's going to drop down uh, and be a part of this conversation, which they didn't have that flexibility last year as a hybrid safety, big nickel. Maybe you can kind of put him in the corner room. Maybe you can put him in the linebacker room. So he's someone that you can add into this room. And then Dorian Williams might be able to come on the field as well in third linebacker situation. So to me, it's a downgrade because Tremaine Edmonds was a solid player, especially later on in his career. But at how much of a downgrade, just like we were trying to say how much of an upgrade at receiver, we have to wait and see how much of a downgrade at linebacker. Same question. We're going to have to wait and see how much of a downgrade it's going to be, because it could be anywhere from a big downgrade to, to, to neutral. So we're going to see how that plays out, but I'm definitely uh, a big, big fan 
of this linebacker room. I, I love that there's some young third round picks. You know, you have Balen Specter, you know, Dotson's fairly young. There's definitely young, cheap players competing at a position, which is rare for this Bills roster, as we've already talked about in the majority of positions. So to me, really like what they can do. And I think it's more versatile. And then you're not just relying on only Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. You actually have, you know, Dorian Williams, Terrell Bernard. Now you have Taylor Rapp. You can run different things. So I think that the versatility, the speed and the flexibility of what they're going to be able to do is definitely is actually an upgrade. But the player them, himself is definitely a downgrade. So it's going to be an interesting and that kind of pushes us into the last debate uh, at the at the defensive back uh, position. So the safety play is a definite upgrade. You're getting back, you know, hide and pull your healthy, which we said we can't just say they're going to be better. So we're going to call that neutral. But you're going to get a Taylor wrap back. Uh, into the system, uh, uh, you know, you know, you're going to bring back Marlowe and Hamlin, I guess, our players that were on the roster last year. So it's the same unit and Cam Lewis is technically a safety. So it's the same, it's the same unit plus Taylor Rapp. You utilize them a little bit in that linebacker talk there. It's an upgrade because you just didn't have a third safety like Rapp last year. So that's an upgrade. Another unit that didn't lose anybody, but added another potential player who's been good in years past. So that's that's an upgrade. And I like the potential of Zane Anderson, a special teamer uh, that could compete for a roster spot here. A guy that they handpicked from uh, Kansas City as a special teamer. Jared Maiden's another guy that's sitting there. Marlowe, as I just said, Mike. But that's definitely an upgrade at the safety position um, because you're adding rap. And then at the corner position, Trey White's back and healthy. Another player where we're using the same things. You know, Elam and Taron Johnson are the same. Christian Benford's coming back in the same. Saran Neal, Cam Lewis kind of that hybrid guy you're adding in, you know, you're essentially at the corner room players are getting better and healthier and you're adding in just Alex Austin. So I guess you can say a corner room's a wash, but as a unit, as a whole, it's an upgrade with just the Taylor wrap because they didn't lose anybody there. Yeah. Completely agree with that. For the most part, if we're looking at the defensive backs, it's, it's mostly a push, like you said, right. uh, because it's essentially the same group of guys that they had last year. And I know you keep saying we're not using injuries to determine upgrades or not, but you, you think about it. You didn't have Micah Hyde last year. Jordan Poyer was playing with all sorts of injuries and things that were impacting his play on the field. Trey White, the first year back from an ACL injury, they always say that uh, the second year back is really when you start to see that improvement and uh, some of that former self um, come out. Hopefully we'll see improvement out of second-year players in Kyer Elam, Christian Benford. Where's Dane Jackson going to slot into uh, this defensive backs room? Is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be more of a, a depth role or maybe even trade bait uh, in late August? And then Taron Johnson, uh, we always talk about him being one of the better slot uh, corners in the league. He's a tremendous nickel corner who uh, can do a lot of things, very versatile. So, I'll say push for the defensive backs, but realistically, I think their play is going to be upgraded based on performance last year compared to performance right now. The only question I have for the DB room uh, when it comes down to it is with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer getting a little bit older, how are they going to be coming off these injuries? And will there ever be a point uh, where they start seeing their play regress on the field, not because they're not good players, but because father time eventually hits them. Uh, we have to see that. Uh, and, and obviously Taylor Rapp. Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. 
Hate travels faster. In a comment, in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S. Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from StandUpToJewishHate.org. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Who would have thought? And just another guy, another starter from... Uh, a team that was willing to come to Buffalo on a cheap contract. So for the safety room, he helps it be an upgrade. And and the one thing I keep thinking about, Kev, I alluded to it earlier in the show, and I've had someone that has uh, some contacts with players on the team tell me they're practicing a good amount of dying right now. Supposedly from players that are on the team, they've told a contact of mine that they are practicing quite a bit of dying. And that would make a lot of sense when you add a guy like Taylor Rapp into the mix so I don't have the SIS or the formation percentages of how much dime they played last year. Obviously, they were almost exclusively nickel uh, a large, large majority of the time. But the dime element intrigues me a ton, Kevin, because the disguises that you can bring to the table in dime. A guy like Taylor Rapp and Jordan Poyer, they're both strong players towards the line of scrimmage. They can make plays uh, at the line. They have the ability to to blitz if needed. So now you have two safeties that that have that skill set. You still have Taron Johnson. I think what we've heard about Sean McDermott in the past and how he likes to be aggressive, him running this defense, I think is set up for a lot of disguise, misdirection, and confusion uh, this upcoming year. And the fact that Now they also added to their defensive line. I think they're hoping that this front four will be able to take care of the job. So now they can do things that they want in the back, uh, the back seven uh, to basically just create hell and nightmares for opposing quarterbacks. Because my my biggest belief, at least in recent years, when they were running nickel as much as they were, you, you heard a quote from Dan Orlowski once I'm paraphrasing where he said, the most frustrating thing about playing the Bills defense is that you know what they're going to be doing and you still can't you still can't convert against it. it it's you still struggle because their guys are always in the right position they're making the plays but the issue i always had Kevin i know this is a an overgeneralization is when you're going up against the Kansas Cities of the world and the Cincinnatis of the world with Mahomes and Burrow they are good enough to be patient and to take advantage of you when they know what they're facing they exploit you. You might be able to stop them for a series or two, but they eventually get to you. And once they solve what you're doing, you're in for a really, really long day. So I always felt that what was going to happen with the Bills is they were going to just keep winning 11, 12, 13 games every regular season, but have these nightmare matchups in the postseason against teams like Kansas City and Cincinnati. And sure, they should have gotten past Kansas City the one year, but they still struggled defensively. What I'm hoping now is if they do bring more of this disguise and confusion, save some of that for the playoffs and have that game where maybe you do hold Mahomes or Burrow 
to 20 points or 17 points and find a way to get it done. And because ultimately the Bills do need their defense to step up in January and hopefully February going forward if they're going to make a run. And it really hasn't been something that they've gotten in recent playoff appearances. Yeah, Mike. And I think for me, it's the most, the DB to finish up DBs. It's the the biggest potential upgrade from injuries from Trey White to, to Micah Hyde to Jordan Poyer are coming back healthy and even Christian Benford on even there was a lot of injury about Kyrie, Kyrie Elam's ankle. So almost every there's your top and then obviously you're adding in rap to the unit, but that's your top five unit um, or excuse me, your top five players in the unit who had a lot, who had a majority of issues, but obviously really beside Taron Johnson, uh, everyone else had, had some pretty um, tough, tough moments, including even like Dean Marlowe who had to go out in the playoff game um, and obviously Demar Hamlin as well, his situation. So almost every single rostered defensive back had an issue. And I definitely think that played a role into what the bills do in their, and their versatile and strategic cover too, that they run. So Mike, overall, we've talked a lot about this. We've kind of talked about every position group and outside of Tremaine Edmonds, Devin Singletary and Isaiah McKenzie, the bills added about at each group. We've gone through it about 12 to 14 players that we've talked about that are a pure upgrade. The 12 to 14 players by far overweigh Tremaine Edmonds, Devin Singletary and Isaiah McKenzie on this roster, Mike. So it's really funny that last year we were talking about Super Bowl. We were talking Super Bowl. You're talking Super Bowl. Now the Bills added another weapon in Dalton Kincaid, kind of changed in with different some different running backs, upgraded guard, upgraded defensive end, brought in a third safety, have some young linebackers there, and brought in Puna Ford, ultimately, and then extremely upgraded the guard position. Mike, where, what am I missing? What am I missing about the roster that says, like last year, and I'm not talking national meet, I don't really care. I'm talking me and you. This is, if we're talking Super Bowl last year, Obviously, the you know last last on this last on this docket is coaching, and the difference is you lost Leslie Frazier, you added Al Holcomb, um, and you have Sean McDermott calling plays, and then a second year of Ken Dorsey, who ultimately, and there's been much stats to compare him to Dable's performance as he was better. Um, so if he gets better than he was, runs the ball a little bit more effectively, and finds more of his weapons. And then on top of those 12 player, 12 to 14 player additions, Sean McDermott now calling a more aggressive defense with the help of Al Holcomb. What am I missing here, Mike? Kev, I think you know what you're missing right now. And that is that when you go three, four years of having expectations and falling short in the playoffs, a level of self, I'm not going to say the Bills organization, I'll say from the fan base, self-doubt starts to emerge where you're like, well, 2020, it was a great story going 13-3. and three. We went all the way to the AFC Championship game, probably overperformed that season. We were just happy to be there. The next year, you have 13 seconds, devastating loss. You go from that to Super Bowl favorites, and, and now fans, because they've personally invested so much in the last three years, they're afraid of that heartbreak. They're afraid of being let down uh, and, and being disappointed. So, yeah, we, we go through each – positional group and we look at the depth we look at the talent and we we come to the basic conclusion yes talent wise they are better than what they were last year when they were the preseason Super Bowl favorites the the difference this year is you go into the year thinking that there are two strong contenders um, 
that you're facing, not one. I know Cincinnati had went to the Super Bowl the year before, but people were still primarily focused on Kansas City going into uh, last year. Hey, I'll, I'll sell you anything. <laughs> Teddy, I'll, I'll sell you a, a life insurance policy if you want. I'll figure it out. I, I might not be able to legally, though. Um, but so it's the expectations, the the fear of the AFC. There's so many good quarterbacks in this conference. What are your odds of, of making a run? And then just the schedule. It is such a tough challenge this upcoming year. And you look at the division with the Jets being respectable with Aaron Rodgers there. The Dolphins being respectable with Tua, Tyreek, Jalen Waddle, and and you can never count out the Patriots. Although I I basically count them out. Yeah. I, I think it's the yeah, fear that other teams have gotten closer to your level. So it's not that the Bills haven't gotten better. It's that other teams have also improved and maybe possibly narrowed that gap. But what I would say is, come playoff team, playoff time, because I expect this team to make the playoffs. Vegas expects this team to make the playoffs. It's just about performing when it matters. Come January, this team is as good as any team uh, in the NFL. They just have to prove it at that point in time. And I think that's the thought process of being in the Bills front office and and coaching staff going forward is we got to get to January 1st. Mm -hmm. That's the the first goal. Hopefully we win the division. We'd love to get the one seed, but if not, win the division. And then we have to take care of business in these big games because – you, you look at the win totals over the last three years. The Bills have 37 wins. Kansas City has 40. I think next up in the AFC is 30. So there is a clear gap, but it's about playing when it matters. And we just haven't seen that on a consistent enough basis yet. So the final thing I'll say is it's predictable why the national media would jump off the, the train. They're trying to generate stories. The Jets are... An easier story to sell brings in the New York market. Miami is a a market that's excited for their Dolphins. They've jumped off the bandwagon. Realistically, none of that matters. The Bills have everything that they need. They just need to to stay focused, and hopefully it works out this year. And the point of the show, is the roster better? It is. The roster is better, and they had Super Bowl aspirations last year, and all of a sudden now you have a deeper defensive end unit. You have Leonard Floyd, a guy that's historically been a nuisance to Aaron Rodgers. That's not random. The Bills would be interested after that. He knows his tendencies. He brought him down more than any other uh, player in the league. Very interesting nugget, but um, multiple nine sacks, I believe, against Aaron Rodgers, um, something along those lines. It's, it's, It's absurd. Um, how well he's he's played. Obviously, he played in the Bears, so he had a lot of opportunities. And then, obviously, the Rams, Packers probably played a couple of years as well. Um, so there's definitely multiple games there. But it is it is funny how dominant he's been against the big addition to the to the to the to the um, division. So ultimately, Puna for Dalton Kincaid could have been Mass and Leonard Floyd alone. Taylor Rapp, Connor McGovern, Osiris Torrance are massive upgrades to this roster that the Bills didn't have last year. This roster is good. It's one of the best rosters in the league. has one of the best quarterbacks in the league. There's not a lot of holes. Mike, one last push. Can the Bills go all in and get get jiggy with it and sign DeAndre Hopkins as the last piece to a real playoff push? We'd be right here on the Going Deep podcast on a Tuesday at 7 talking about the Super Bowl again just because of that. The roster is really good really really good beside that it's back and healthy you're getting Vaughn back at some point too it's it's gonna be a good push this season but adding in that final piece like DeAndre Hopkins 
to a receiver room with a massive upgrade. I think you'd have to say, even nationally now, even though it's not trendy, you'd have to say the Bills would be Super Bowl favorites if they were able to finally work out some void years. The Bills have enough money and they have enough tools in their tool belt to not hurt the future with their 10 draft picks. Plus, some players are going to be able to trade in August, um, potentially from the receiver room, the offensive line room, maybe the defensive line. They can get some of those draft picks back. But Mike, DeAndre Hopkins is a final move. I wouldn't put it past Bean. He didn't shoot it down when he had every opportunity to shoot it down to them on on, uh, when he was on Pat McAfee yesterday and said, we're going to leave our talks there when he could easily have said, at this stage, we're overspent. Um, so I don't think it's done yet. If he decides to take the bag and go to Houston or Indy or, or, or the Detroit, it is what it is. But ultimately he sits back and he waits for one of these contenders. I think the bills will be in until the end on Hopkins. So I don't want to disappoint Tommy if he's still listening or watching our stream right now, because I know Tommy is the, the biggest D hop to Buffalo supporter out there outside of maybe Ryan who watches our show every once in a while. I don't think it's going to happen, Kevin. Uh, I won't say it's impossible, but I'm putting single-digit percentage chance of it happening. Hopkins will have to lower his price. Now, I do think it's telling that Brandon Bean didn't just shut it down on the Pat McAfee show, which tells me he still thinks, hey, you never know what could happen. Maybe his market dries up. Maybe he doesn't have suitors, and he'll eventually – take less money to come here. So I won't say it's impossible because I think if it was Brandon Bean would have answered Pat McAfee's question a little bit differently. I still don't think it's likely the way it would have to happen is that Hopkins comes to Buffalo on the bills terms. And in order for that to happen, I think you're going to have to have teams like Cleveland, Detroit, um, and, and much more teams basically be quiet and not offer him something respectable. We'll see. I, I don't think there's been a lot of suitors at this point, but that's asking for a lot for uh, for him to come to the Bills. I don't think Kansas City is a threat for D-Hop at the moment because they're going through the same issues that Buffalo is um, as far as money, resources, cap, uh, and all those things. But I, I would love it. I, I definitely would love it. If he came to Buffalo, you, you are right. I think – some of the national stories and um, narratives would start changing to, oh, maybe Buffalo does have enough. Uh, now they have the offense solved. They fixed their defense. Uh, this is a team that could be a Super Bowl contender. Ultimately, for me, I think there still are a Super Bowl contender, regardless of if they have Hopkins or not. Um, he would be a sexy addition uh, to the, the team, but I don't think he's necessarily an addition that will determine if they have enough to win it all or not. Yeah, so Mike... We're going to be honed in. The Brandon Bean never ceases to amaze me in terms of what he's able to do in May and June. And does he have one last card up his sleeve? He was not able, even in his press conference today, to never say never. Um, he said the last time that if players will take a great deal, he'll sign them. I would say Leonard Floyd did take a good deal, but that still was significant, $7 million. I think that there's still a final play in the cards if DeAndre Hopkins come back in and does take us to the Cincinnati level of weapons. Um, and I think that Bean could be overly interested if Hopkins will make it work. I think there's something still there. I've always been at about 10%, even in the highs and the lows. And that's about where I sit right at the 10% mark that I still believe 
the fact that you didn't sign for big money right now is a good sign for teams like the Bills and comp- and, and, comp- and competitors because ultimately if he was going to get the bag, there's nothing that's going to change from Houston uh, today. They're not going to just decide that they have more money or something. They're, they're not going to restructure players. They already have enough money. They could have offered what they wanted to for the player in uh, Cleveland as well. So ultimately I do believe he's going to pick a competitor. He's going to pick a winner. Maybe does he follow Leonard Floyd? Does he follow Von Miller? And does that get done? I'm not going to say no. And I think that ultimately the Bills roster could take a huge step forward and really not really now, now no assets are being traded, Mike, and really not affect your future. It really wouldn't. So with all that being said, we'll be the first ones to bring you live reactions, live content on the next time the Bills have a sign in Leonard Floyd news was great. We kind of all expected if at the end, uh, anyone that's been following the Bills, there's been rumblings and tea leaves and and in Twitter sources from people we trust that have said D tackle the end, and those came to fruition. So excited to follow the final finale of the D hop situation. I am excited to see where he goes. I hope he goes to a place where it doesn't affect the Bills and maybe helps them. Like Cleveland would help the Bills because that would make them more competitive in their division, and the Bills don't play Cleveland. Um, so something like that could be an interesting addition, Mike. But We've brought you an hour and 15 minutes of action-packed show. We did not expect to have an action-packed June 6th. Um, So we'll see you next Tuesday at 7 o'clock, one week from tonight. We have shows all week on the Cover One Sports Network. Check out Eric Turner's work on Floyd. Uh, Some really great stuff. And check out his uh, potentially and and others, you know, as we dive more into Ed Oliver and his numbers. So uh, check out all the great written content on Cover One Podcast Network as well as the premium Slack channel as well, which is a fun time. But Mike, from the Going Deep podcast, give me any final thoughts you have on this roster. Love the roster. Excited about uh, everything going forward. I, I never would have thought after the Bills season ended in January that we would be heading into the middle of June with Jordan Poyer still on the team and three other uh, starting caliber guys added in free agency. A first-round pick tight end that I think is going to be a difference maker in the passing game, uh, a p- potential starting right guard in the second round. And then some of the other potential uh, guys that, that bring um, some more talent to the bills roster and Dorian Williams and so forth. So I'm excited. Uh, and I think it's going to be a really fun training camp, but we still have a lot to talk about uh, going forward. And two last things I did want to talk about. That Madden cover is going to be coming out shortly. Some rumors that it could be Josh Allen. So that's something to keep an eye on this weekend. The Bills had their groundbreaking at the new stadium. I've been walking by it every day. And it's definitely starting to get some work done overall. They haven't really started digging deep. But uh, the parking lot that used to be there is completely gone. So uh, if you're ever around the Buffalo area and you want to see some progress, they are saying that you're welcome to go to the ECC lots and kind of uh, monitor the changes that are happening there. So there you go. Just wanted to get a couple two cents in and uh, excited to see uh, the progress of, every, of everything going forward. Well said, Mike. Well, we'll catch you right here with more stadium news, maybe some D-hop news at some point this summer, as well as continuing to track the roster for any random Brandon Bean moves. But from Kevin Masseri, that's Mike Bunt. We'll catch you here Tuesdays at 7 from the Going Deep podcast on the Cover One Sports Network. Josh Allen, looking deep, going deep. To me, talking about the Bills, what else would you rather be doing? 
we're hoping to add a, a new dimension to the Cover One Network. Slings it deep downfield, Right now, I just want to talk about this championship level. I've never had a championship caliber team to talk about. I want to focus more on the storylines each week. What are the big stories going on with the Bills? What are uh, thoughts, commentary? How do these things impact Buffalo? Deep drop. Deep throw. And it is hauled in for the touchdown. Allen deep to the end zone and caught for a touchdown. Play action. Are we off? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.